Who wants to hear the word of God? You. Yeah. All right. Before we dive into our text, actually, uh, we're reading out of John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verses 44 through 50. John chapter 12, verses 44 through 50. Before we read our text, I want to remind you of something. If you get your sin wrong, you get virtually everything else wrong. If you're wrong on your sin, if you view your sin wrongly, you're going to view just about everything else in this world wrongly. You're going to view yourself wrongly. You're going to view God's law wrongly. You're going to view this life wrongly. You're going to view God wrongly. If I have a correct view of my sin... It affects everything. It affects the way I discipline my kids. It affects the way that I disagree with my wife. It affects the way that I show respect and mercy to other sinners. But if you get your sin wrong, you get almost everything else wrong. Which is why when Jesus comes on the scene, He says what? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Basically what He's saying is, we've got to get this sin thing ironed out first. We're going to talk about what repentance actually means this morning. And that's a, the, the reason we're talking about sin is because we're getting ready to go into a passage this morning where we're going to talk about judging. The Word's going to judge on the last day. That very same life-giving, life-breathing Word in which we hold such high esteem, the Word that we delight in is going to be the very same Word that condemns the world. And that's why we've got to hold ourselves up to the light. We've got to let our sin be exposed with the Word. Because it's only by the Word that we can see ourselves correctly. And if we get our sin right, then we get almost everything else right too. And so without any further ado, if you'll stand for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 12, verses 44 through 50. And the Holy Spirit through John says, and Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whosoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. Here it is. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Let's pray. Father, we want to be people of your word. We don't want to just be people who read your word. We want to delight in your word. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the power of your resurrection this morning, 
I pray not only that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, but Father, you give us hearts to love this word. Because as the psalmist says, by it we find life. And all these things we ask in your precious Son's name. Amen. You can be seated. This morning I want to try to summarize this passage in this way. The word that brings light and salvation to the world today is the very same word that will judge the world tomorrow. Say that another way. The word that brings light and salvation to the world today is the very same word that will judge the world on the last day. Growing up, matter of fact, my parents still live there. Um, we, we lived on a corner lot, had a big old yard growing up in Owensboro, Kentucky. And, I mean, Dad, even when we moved in when I was real little, Dad cut down one of the big trees so that we could have a big old yard to play in. And growing up, our yard was where all the kids came to play all the sports until we got too big and found another yard. But I remember you could play all day, but you had to come in when? Nighttime. And... You better believe we used every last bit of sunlight we could. And then mom would come out. She'd call us in say, it's time. Come on. Do the dinner. Or we, we ate dinner. Then we go back out. But you had to come in when it was dark. And then we'd go in. And we'd go to bed. And then the next morning when my mom came in to wake us up, she'd say, get up. She always let dad sleep later. She said, get up. Come on. I'd usually peel out. Not always, but usually. I was pretty obedient. My son, or my brother, wasn't as much. And so what would she do to get my brother up? She'd pull up them blinds. When she came to wake us up, she'd pull up those blinds real quick, and my brother looked like a vampire. He just, he just trying to like cover himself. It's funny how the day before... Just hours before. We loved that sunlight so much we didn't even want to go inside. And yet, just hours transpire and now, eight hours later, that very same sunlight comes pouring in and we hate it. What happened? What happened in those hours between? Well, we've been living in the dark. For those who have been living in the dark, the light hurts. For those who have been living in the dark, Scripture says our desire is to what? Remain in the dark. Verse 46, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not what? Remain in darkness. In other words, had God the Father not sent His Son and His Spirit... To pull us out, to wrench us out of darkness, we would have been perfectly content to stay under the covers. To remain in darkness. And as we learned last week, it was God, not you, who took the first step to save you and to change your heart. God took the initiative. God, Abby Todd did not take the first step. Abby Todd did what? Got under the covers. 
Abi Todd was dead. Abi Todd was a slave. And it was God who unshackled me from sin and my love of sin by His Word and His Spirit. That's called the gospel. <laughs> That's the good news. That's the point. That's the reason we come to church. Our God is a God who saves, and He doesn't wait for us to get our act together. He doesn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. He doesn't wait for us to meet Him halfway. He jumps in and pulls you out. That's called good news. <laughs> We're saved by faith and faith alone. And our faith is in the Word. You see, for those who've been living in the dark, the light hurts. And listen to me now. That's why repentance hurts a little bit. Repentance always hurts a little. It should. It should hurt a little when the light exposes your sin. And if it doesn't, you ain't repenting. Repentance isn't just turning away from your sin. Repentance is staring at the light and exposing your sin for what it is and acknowledging that God is right to judge your sin. That's repentance. Last week when I was sharing Jesus with that young man, I asked him, I said, do you, do you confess right now that when God looks at your sin and sees you for who you really are, no one else knows, but God knows that what you really deserve is hell. Do you, do you believe that? And he said, yeah, I do. I can't let him skip that step. That's a very important step. I couldn't let this young man walk me away thinking that he knew the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ unless he stared at the light and saw himself for what he really is. Because only then do I know that he can call upon grace. If we let people think they believe in Jesus, if we let people think they can turn away from their sin without repenting of their sin, then we're letting them do what my brother did every morning under the covers. Trying to hide. That is what it's like to be a so-called Christian who doesn't read God's Word. You're awake, but you're not in the light. You're under the covers because sinners who don't like to stare their sin in the face, they can't bear the weight of God's holiness on their sin. And the first time you repent of your sin, you go, you start to open your eyes and go, wow, I'm a sinner. Oh, that's grace. Wow, God is good. If you want to face the light of God's Word, you've got to start by looking straight into the light. That's why the author of Hebrews says this about the Word. Hebrews 4.12 For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In other words, the light's going to cut you a little bit. The Word is going to pierce you a little bit. Because the Word will always expose sin, and that hurts. I think it's important to understand about this, about how someone is saved. When someone is converted and they turn to Jesus and they're saved, they don't skip judgment. When someone is saved, you're not skipping judgment. You're still judged, 
But when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're asking Jesus to be judged on your behalf. Every sinner is judged by the Word. And here's the point, you guys. The only difference is whether Jesus will be your advocate today or Jesus will be your judge tomorrow. Will we be saved by the Word today or will we be judged by the Word tomorrow? Look at verses 47 through 48. Wow, somebody's down on the spot. Who's running the... Somebody's on it tonight, or this morning. Who is, who's doing the... My buddy. Look at him. Of one mind. Alright. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Stop right there. When you're reading this, you go, wait a minute, I don't get that. He's saying he doesn't judge. I thought he did judge. Well, then read verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So the word will judge. The word will judge the wicked hearts of men. And that has two practical applications for us this morning. One, let the word condemn your sin and bring you to repentance today. Or let the word judge your sin and condemn you to hell on the last day. Number two, God doesn't need you to judge the sin of other people. I'm going to say that again because I think we all need to hear it. God, especially on election day. God doesn't need you to judge the sin of other people. What does that? The Word. The Word will do the judging. That's why Christians can live in a really screwed up world is because we know there is such a thing as justice and justice will be served. And the difference isn't that somehow we're better than others. It's that we have asked Jesus to go on our behalf as our mediator and God the Father judged Him instead of you. That's the Gospel. We don't need to judge the sin of other people. That's the Word's job. Now that doesn't mean we don't help other people to see their sin. Because of course we want people to walk in the light. We want people to repent of their sin. One of the biggest Actually, I read this when I read Martin Luther's 95 Theses. The very first one. I hope you know who that is, by the way. Halloween is Reformation Day. When he knocks the 95 Theses on the, the, the church at the castle of Wurtberg. Not Wurtberg. Wittenberg. Thunberg. Very first Theses is defining what? What the word repent means. Repentance is not doing this. It's not doing penance. Every single day, God is asking me to repent of my sin. Every single day, God is asking me to wake up and live all ten hours that I'm awake as if I am in need of God's grace. Repenting is not something you did once, cashed in, just kind of treated it like it was a little slot machine, then lived the rest of the day how you want. Repentance is constantly living under the knowledge of the fact that I, if I were judged rightly and judged justly, God would send me to hell, but I'm living as somebody who called on the God of, who saves. When my children are playing in their playroom, they're old enough now that Daddy will be reading a book or watching Netflix or something, and I'll hear a... Yeah. <laughs> 
right. Bubba, stay safe. Don't do that before I meet them in the room. And I'll get in there, and they're old enough now. They're crafty. They're old enough now that whoever did it, I mean, it's a, they're not even three. I'm telling y'all, sin, there's a reason not one person yet is apt to live this, live on this earth other than one person and not sin. It's because we are built with sin. And my kids already got it. And they've already got me. Roman has already got, oh, it's usually Ruby. She, she's, she's, she's more crafty. She's already got a ready-made excuse <laughs> at two and a half years old. She's pointing to Bubba, who's in tears, and she's already telling me why she had to do it. <laughs> and she knows Daddy's got a soft spot for her. He hit me. She pushed me. I didn't mean it. I have a feeling that when Jesus returns, y'all, we're going to be like little kids in the playroom going, you know, already with our ready-made excuses for the King of Kings and the lawgiver. But my job. But they did this to me. But that's my personality. But you don't understand. No, 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 no. When the word comes, it will cut straight to the heart. No impartiality. No partiality. No favoritism. No leniency. Romans 3 says that God has revealed His truth, quote unquote, so that every mouth may be stopped. It's like Daddy coming in the room. No, 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 no. Cut it out. No more excuses. And friends, I want you to hear me this morning. Christians don't have excuses for their sin. We just have faith that someone has taken our punishment. Christians don't point at other people for excuses as to why they behave, why they did. Christians are the ones standing in the light saying, I am the chief of sinners saved by grace. Is that you? One thing I learned in marriage a long time ago, Kelly actually taught me this. Bubba's got 101 temperatures, so that's why they're not here. But one thing my wife taught me, she said, don't you dare end any of your apologies with what? But. And it's the same with our God. You better not come before the lawgiver. You better not show up before the word that judges and say a but or I meant to or I didn't mean to or a pointed finger. When Jesus returns, it will be abrupt. It will be shocking. And the judgment will come by the very same word that many people profess to believe in. And only then will they realize that the word wasn't a self-help book. It was the truth. And you're standing on one side or the other. See, Christians, we need to, to live like people who are going to be judged. But we need to also live like people who, when we are, the Lamb will take it and not you. That shapes the way we live this life in a profound way. 
The word that brings light and salvation is the very same word that will bring judgment to the world. I'm going to make a, big, a very big statement this morning, and I want you to hear me when I make it. Because I was trying to think as I went through the text this, this, this week, how is it that some people can just hate God's word and other people just love it? How is that? What is it in me? What did God do in my heart that now when I open up the Bible, instead of being like when I was 11, when mom's like, did you read your Bible? Yeah, read my Bible. And now I'm 32 and I open the Bible and I, and I, I can't wait to unpack the oracles of God. What did God do in my heart to accomplish that? And I think what we need to understand is the most fundamental difference between the heart of a believer and the heart of an unbeliever is a love for God's holiness. That's why believers love the light and unbelievers stay under the covers. Christians love the light because we love God for God. We don't love just what God can give us. We don't just love what God can do for us. We love God's holiness. That's why we love the Word. To the unbeliever, God's holiness is oppressive. It's constricting. It's legalistic. But to the believer, God's holiness is satisfying. It's delightful. Christians are people who delight in God's character, His integrity, His moral purity, and His excellence. The holiness of God begins with the love of God. You know, growing up, I used to think that holy people were the people who didn't smoke, didn't drink, didn't cuss. Probably why it's because my mom was always telling me that. <laughs> but now I understand that somebody who doesn't cuss, smoke, or drink, but they don't love Jesus with all their heart, soul, and mind, that is not a holy person. What I have stopped doing and what I would encourage you to stop doing is putting holiness over here and love over here as if they occupy different corners of the Christian life. I got my curmudgeony holiness fundamentals over here and I got my really soft, evangelical, loving God people over here. No, 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 no. I got my people who love God with all their heart, soul, and mind, and they love people so much that they'd be willing to do anything, and they want to live in such a way that they want to reflect the holiness of God because they love Him first. That's a holy person. I think that's what our world doesn't understand, is we want to detach holiness from love. The Bible never does that. When I do premarital counseling... One thing I always run into with couples that really want to get married fast is the young couple wants and is facing that temptation to start sleeping together because their body wants to follow what their heart has already jumped into. <laughs> and they always have to face, hey, Kelly and I did, face that satanic worldly logic that says, well, we're going to get married anyway. Might as well do it now. If you're a man and you got married, you didn't think about that, you're lying. And it's my job as pastor in those moments to help them understand that holiness isn't just about not doing things. Holiness is about living in a way that expresses who you love most. 
If you love your fiancé most, you're going to have premarital sex and you're going to defile your body. If you love Jesus most, you wouldn't dare violate that sacred covenant because you're all, you know that that marriage you're entering in is designed to say far more about Him than it is about the man you're marrying. People who love and delight in God's Word love and delight in God's holiness. The righteousness of God, I was like Martin Luther when I was an unbeliever. The righteousness of God scared me. <laughs> it's because I had so much sin. I wanted to live under the covers. Now I'm a believer and I delight in the righteousness of God. I delight in His justice. I delight in His holiness. Christians love the Word because we love God's holiness. We love God for who He is, not just what He can give me. Joshua 1.8. Man, my boy. Look at him. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Wow, that sounds remarkably a lot like Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but what? His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. The Old Testament scriptures, including the New consistently bear witness that the people of God are defined by a love of God's Word and a love of God's holiness. Christians are not just people who read God's Word. Christians are people who delight in God's Word. <coughs> How amazing is the rebirth? How amazing is it that when God changed my heart and turned me into a new creation, the very same Word that will condemn the world and spring swift judgment at the very end of days is the very same word that I savor and love. At judgment, at the end of the days, the sheep and the goats will be distinguished. They'll be separated. And they will be defined by those who loved God's word and wanted to obey it and those who found God's word to be a hindrance and an inconvenience and an obstacle to the things that they really want. Verses 49 through 50. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So when Jesus speaks, the Father speaks. When Jesus comes to judge, the Father is judging everything that the Father does in His dealings with humanity and with His creation is done through the Son. So if someone claims to love God, but they're so-so on Jesus, God says, no, you don't know me. And you don't want me. In the history of the world, since the coming of Jesus Christ, there has never once been a sinner on good terms with God who did not love Jesus Christ with all his heart, soul, and mind. Something I want us to think about this morning. The law. When I say the law, what pops into your head? Oh. Or is it, ah? Well, as a sinner, it should be, oh. 
Because the law condemns your sin. But as a born-again Christian and someone who loves God and His holiness, you should delight in the law. You see, criminals hate the law. Citizens love the law. I am glad that when I walk out, there's a stop sign. Somebody runs a stop sign, or if there's a speed limit, I'm glad that there's a cop somewhere. There's only two in Oxford, so maybe they wouldn't catch up with me. But I'm glad somebody's enforcing it. I'm glad I live in a society where there is law. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul goes to great pains to explain to his churches that the law isn't bad. The law is good. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian isn't that one has sinned and one hasn't. We're all lawbreakers. We're all guilty before the law. We are all, as Paul says, under the law. The difference is that a Christian can look at their sin and they can look at the law and they can actually go, I sinned against a holy and just God. I am a lawbreaker. The law is good, just, and righteous, and holy. Therefore, God could be good, justice, just, righteous, and holy to send me to hell, and He would still be a great God worthy of worship. Can you say that? A Christian should be willing to admit, in fact, a Christian in some way has to admit, that God would be perfectly just to condemn you to hell and life could continue going on and God would still be good and worthy of worship. If you can't confess that, then you truly don't believe you're a sinner and you have no idea what grace is. This morning I want to ask you, can you delight in the very law which condemns you apart from the grace of God? Can you delight in God's justice even when it says you're a lawbreaker? Can you delight in the very same righteousness which says you're the chief of sinners? Because I'm going to tell y'all, that is the heartbeat of repentance. We love the Word of God not because it tells us how awesome we are. We love the Word of God because it tells us how awesome God is. John Newton, before he died, he penned Amazing Grace. He said, I know two things. I am a great sinner and God is a great God. The word that brings light and salvation to the world today is the very same word that will judge the world on the last day. Are we people of the word? Are we people of the word? Do we delight in God's word? Do we meditate on God's word? I think I've told you all this before. Don't think that there's a time when you arrive at being the good Christian. We're always repenting and we're always believing. I'll tell you, I've grown a lot meet with Ben Malloy. Ben Malloy memorizes Bible verses better than I do. Willie knows more than any of us. I don't care. I'm not keeping tally. Oh, Willie knows the word better than I do. I guess he's a better Christian. Willie, get up here and start preaching. No! The word is where life is. And I'm a repenter anyway, so I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Man, I, it inspires me to go back into the word and learn it more. Learning the Bible, memorizing the Bible, reading the Bible isn't supposed to tell us how good a Christians we are. It's to tell us how great a sinner you are and how great a God he is. Will we be saved by the Word today? 
Will we delight in the Word today? Will we find peace? Will we find hope? Will we find joy in the Word today or will we be condemned by the Word tomorrow? Because that invitation, that gospel, that good news that Jesus Christ has taken upon Himself the consequences for our sin and all we have to do is believe in the good news, that invitation will only be cast for so long. And He's given it to us in His Word. Will we take it for granted today? Or will we live by it today? Come, let's pray. Father, we want to delight in Your Word. Father, we want the Word to show us how inadequate we are because we don't want to live as blind people under the covers. Father, we want to see your glory. Father, I pray this morning, I plead with you this morning, rip the scales from our eyes so that we can stop esteeming ourselves so high and we can start worshiping you for who you are. Father, let us no longer fear the law and the condemnation that comes with the law because we know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are free from the condemnation of the law, Father, but that does not mean we're free from the law. We want to delight in your precepts. Father, show us who we really are and show us who you are by your word. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen.